you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 20. Continuing to look at this theme of hospitality. A very distinct view of hospitality here in these verses. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 20. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word? May you hear the word of Christ this morning. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is the Messiah. For we all were baptized into one body by one spirit, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. For the body, indeed, is not one member, but many If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, that wouldn't make any less part of the body, would it? And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body, would it? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were a sense of hearing, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has organized the members, placing each one individually in the body according to his wishes. If all the parts were one member, where would the body be? So the result is this. There are many members, but one body. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. We thank you for speaking to your people, divinely speaking to us so that we might be able to be fed and nurtured and uh, nourished through your word. And so as we lean into your word this morning, may we receive through your spirit understanding and not just the knowledge in our heads, but a knowledge with our bodies that you would put this faith that we have into action and that your spirit would give us that action that your spirit would give us an awareness of who we are called to love and how we are to show great hospitality to them. And so, Lord, deepen us in you. Deepen us in who you are and who you have called us to be this morning. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I want to point out a couple of very important things this morning once it comes to largely who we are in this church. Some of us gathered this morning, um, you've had unshakable, you've had very incredible experiences with the church, haven't you? For most part, you've had good encounters, good experiences with members and churchgoers for as long as you can remember. But let's not be naive either, that there have been, for others, difficulty. There's been painful, if we're even more real about it, or painful and uh, discomforting experiences with the church. These are awfully unfortunate, yet all too uncommon, that we see across the globe, but especially in America as well, these kind of... Uh, good and bad encounters that people have with the church. And I've discovered in the short years of ministry that I've had that I can't make any person love the church. I can't. 
I wish I could, but I can't. But what, because what I'm asking individuals to do is this. Would you help take care of, tend to help nurture and cherish a crowd of wildly rambunctious and rebellious people? I mean, where's the sign-up list for that, right? I cannot wait to help you help take care of a bunch of broken individuals with me being a broken individual too. We tend to think of the church as this ideal, this beautiful picture, and don't get me wrong, it is. We find it throughout Scripture so many times, especially in this passage. But at the same time, there's these flaws and this brokenness that we have to also be able to pinpoint and to point at as well. Because sacrificially loving a bunch of broken and rebellious people is not always a joyous. It's certainly not an exciting and pleasurable task all the time. But let me also add that it is a worthwhile, it is a very excellent task to which each and every one of us who have proclaimed Christ as King that we are called to do. Although not always ideal, we're called as brothers and sisters to love one another as Christ has loved us. In fact, one quote uh, that comes to mind as I was prepping the sermon this week was uh, from St. John Chrysostom, a 4th century pastor many years ago. He said this about a husband and wife. The husband and wife should be similar as the hand to the eye. When the hand hurts, the eye should be crying. And when the eyes cry, the hand should come and wipe away the tears. Let me say that one more time. The husband and wife should be similar to the hand as the hand is to the eye. When the hand hurts, the eye should be crying. And when the eyes cry, the hand should come and to wipe away the tears. I don't take this merely as sort of this metaphor and illustration of how a husband and wife are to function together, but as really a deeper understanding of what it means to be the church. Because when the church hurts, when part of the church hurts, the other part of the church should come and cry and sympathize with it. And on the flip side, when that one part of the church cries, the other part should come and comfort and be burdened for it. If there's one thing that we're chasing this morning and exploring this morning about hospitality is this. How can the body of Christ be hospitable to one another? How can brothers love brothers and sisters love sisters and brothers love sisters and sisters love brothers? And what does that mean for us as a body, both individually but as collectively as a whole, to nurture one another? As broken as you are, as broken as I am, as broken as you are, and we do this together in order to nurture each other in the things of our faith. So let's explore that as it relates to this passage. I think you now connect the riddle I had, the nose and the foot. So thank you, Miss Sherry, for pulling that together for me. In Paul's metaphor, the church is a body. Uh, notice he doesn't speak anything of a head. Have you noticed that in this passage? He never spoke of a head. I mean, he does in other passages. If you were to go to Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, the chapter before this, Colossians 1 or Colossians 2, he does speak of a head. And that head is Christ himself. Christ is the one who controls the body, the church. 
the one who gives direction and guidance to his body, the church. The head does, the, and Christ controls the body to do and to act in particular ways, in particular contexts across his globe. And if the body doesn't listen to the head, catch this. If the body doesn't listen to the head well, it is entirely acceptable for the head to shut down the body. Did you hear that caution? It is entirely acceptable if the body does not listen to the head, the head can shut down the body. Even temporarily or sometimes longer. I learned this lesson about five years ago when going late into night, I've been working nonstop day after day. Working so hard, I decided to lay down in my mom and uh, stepdad's recliner. Woke up early that next morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock. My body didn't move. My head woke up. I even remember my head telling my body to get up and it would not move. It began to freak me out and after crying in that moment for several minutes, I finally got the ability to move my hand somewhat to call Jade, who was in the other room, to come and help me. Probably one of the scariest moments of my entire life where my body would not move in that moment. And so after the ambulance came, took me uh, to Jackson Madison, they pumped me with some IV and didn't really know what was going on. The best um, explanation of that situation from the doctor was that you had what's called a certain type of sleep paralysis where your head woke up and your brain was functioning, you were fully aware and conscious, but your body was still asleep. And he asked simple questions like, what is your diet like? What is your daily routine like? And I couldn't answer any of them really well because uh, I had been going nonstop for months at a time, working on PhD work, working in everyday life, taking care of family, bad sleeping patterns, bad eating patterns, and he said, it's simple as that, son. You need to regain a sense of rest for your body. Because what, he, what your body is doing right now is that your brain is telling you to slow down and to stop. And your body is rebelling against yourself in order to tell you to slow down and to stop. Your head is ruling over how much your body is wanting to move. It's a simple, uh, the simple point in the lesson that this applies to 1 Corinthians 12 is that as the body of Christ, we must be willing to submit to our head. We must be willing at the end of the day to choose his will, not ours. No matter how much we want to do something, at the end of the day, we're the body we don't get to make the decisions the head of the church does. So as we push and prod against the things of Christ, it just might be the case that we need to be ready for the consequences if we're not listening to our head, Christ himself. It may be the case that our head will put us in temporary paralysis so that he, we might listen and heed the instructions of our head himself. 
very simple reading of Christ, uh, of, of Paul's text here about Christ, Christ's body shows us that being the church requires us to keep two truths in tension. First, there are individual members in the church. I don't think anybody can miss that. I don't think we can look at each other and say, well, you're not an individual member. You're not an individual member. Because when we look at each other, we know that there are Sherry's in here. We're, we know that there's an individual PJ in here. There's Blake's and Shannon's and John's. We know that there's individual members that make up this body. And the emphasis here is that the individual person. But we need to keep that other tension. The second tension in mind is that we as individual members make up the body, the church. It's a both and. You are an individual member of this church, but at the same time, we collectively as a whole are the body. And as Americans, we can tend to overemphasize the former. Look at me, myself, my ministry. I am doing this. Instead of us looking at each other and saying, what is the body doing? What is Christ doing through the entire body and moving us towards a particular mission for a community or a town? But the scriptures, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, they push back an individualized thinking that it's about me, that it's just only about how I'm doing these things. It pushes back again and again against that and says, look in, at your own body, the whole. What is happening? How can you take care of that person? How can they come in and help the others? Yes, you are an individual. Duh, we know that. But also, you are and you belong to a body, the whole of the church. And here's what we just have to keep in mind. Without the individual members, we can't be a body, can we? There has to be individual members that compose and comprise this entire body of the church. And we must never forget that Christ is the one who rules over and he guides the entire body in the direction that he is so directing. And so I asked this question as I was prepping the sermon for the past couple of weeks. What prevents us from being a gift to each other? Because that's a part of the sermon title. Being hospitable is being a gift to one another in this particular place, the body. Yes, there is a place for us to be a gift to the community. But let me step back and say, what does it mean for us as Hickory Grove to be a gift to one another and to see each other as gifts? In other words, how can we get rid of certain distractions in our lives that prevent us from seeing each other and tending to each other's needs here in this church? And I don't think I have to convince you that there are many distractions that we could pinpoint in our own life on a daily basis. But I'm going to hit at a couple of few that immediately popped into my mind. The distraction of technology. In 2011, uh, Google hired this man by the name of Tristan Harris. And what they wanted for, uh, Mr. from Mr. Harris is for him to uh, come up and develop a way for technology to help not hinder the way people interacted with their technology. In fact, he laid out an 140-slide uh, presentation called A Call to Minimize Distraction and Respect Users' Attention. We would think that a company like that, like Google, is trying to get our attention all the time, right? They want us on their technology. They want us in their apps and the like. 
And they want us to get lost in that. But this man was persuaded that it should be the exact opposite. In it, he made this point that three powerhouse companies, Apple, Google, and uh, Facebook, have greatly shaped millions of people's perspectives on a daily basis. And he was convinced and he felt responsible for assisting Google in this mission. Here it is. Our primary business model at Google is fulfilling human needs through their searches on the internet and getting people on with their lives. Did you hear that? His purpose was to see how they can help you and me get onto Google real quick and get out as fast as possible because he understood that the greatest human needs was face to face. It wasn't to get lost in Google. It wasn't to get lost in Facebook or Apple, but to meet those needs of whatever search, whatever knowledge that they needed, and then to get them on their way as fast as possible. Because as Mr. Harris pointed out, when you get a notification for your phone, let's say from Facebook, Jade M Nicole McEwen just tagged you in a photo. When he saw that notification, he pointed out that it's not just a notification, it's this. Would you like to see yourself in a photo? And he even went further and say, no, 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 no. It's actually deeper than that. Would you like to spend the next 20 minutes on Facebook? These types of distractions, especially digital ones, can actually prevent us from having those real good, thoughtful, and rich encounters with one another. And he understood that. Those little devices and those apps that we have at our hands are really, they don't meet the type of connection that we want, that we crave. They give a certain type of satisfaction that we long for so much more. In fact, in a Psychology Today article, uh, uh, Glenn Gare wrote this, more and more college students each year have reported issues of anxiety and depression along with other problems. And the common link, some sort of high use of technology. Now, I'm not saying that there's direct causes between this particular activity in a device and the high amounts of depression, anxiety, and even suicide. But church, we cannot mistake the fact that there is a connection that is happening between the two. And we need to be thoughtful because we need to step back and say, how is this technology actually shaping my identity? How is it shaping the types of questions that I think about concerning myself? What types of things that is it shaping me to think about my own brother and sister in Christ within this church? They are shaping us whether we know it or not, but we need to step back and say, we acknowledge this and we need to be aware of this because it might shape how we are even hospitable towards one another. Second thing, we long for a face-to-face -face tangible community, a kind of community that's found again and again throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul, writing to the Colossian church, writes this. There are, they, these are the clothes you must put on as God's chosen, holy, and lavish loved upon you. You must be tender-hearted, kind, humble, meek, and ready to put up with anything. 
You must bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive each other. Just as the master Christ has forgiven you, you must do the same. On top of this, you must put on love, which ties everything together and makes it complete. Let the king's peace be the deciding factor in your hearts. That's what you are called to within the one body of the church. And be thankful. Let the king's word dwell richly among you as you teach and exhort one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with a grateful heart. And whatever you do in word or action, catch this, do everything in the same way of the master Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father of who he is. Notice that each of these virtues, these character qualities in this passage, are being the, when we are the church at our best, putting on love, tender kindness, uh, a humility and meekness, ready to be active for anything that comes our way. And notice Paul is calling the church to be with one another face to face, tangibly serving one another in the most hospitable ways possible. So if I can persuade you this morning to do something, it's this. Yes, use your phone. I'm not saying put away phones, throw them away, burn them. That's not what I'm saying. But use your phone to text or call someone in this church this week. Ask them for breakfast or lunch or possibly even dinner. And while you're there in this dinner or lunch or breakfast, put on kindness and practice wisdom for their benefit. And while there, you may have to ask forgiveness yourself, or maybe you have to extend it to them. While there, motivate them to seek the king in their achievements and even in their struggles. While there, whatever you do, as Paul says, in word or deed, do as if you're doing towards Christ the king. Because this is a practicing of the gift of community with one another. And we are to do it often, as often as we can, to be able to extend that kind of act of humility towards our brother and sister, which leads to the third thing that could prevent us from seeing each other as a gift. Challenging people present challenging challenges in ministry, right? Challenging people present challenges in ministry. As I told you at the beginning of the sermon, if I were to put a, a list back there, and I say, all right, here's what we're going to do this week. I want you to sign up. You're like, yes, I can't wait. I want you to go and love somebody who's really hard to love this week. No, that's hard to do. That's a part of the calling of the church is us as broken human beings are to love others and extend a type of forgiveness towards others the way that Christ has extended it to us. When we are sacrificially loving one another... It can be attractive. Listen to this. When we love, sacrificially love one another, it can be attractive not only to those inside the church, but also to those outside the church. I've seen this too many times. Let's think about this. When we're captivated by a love between a man and a woman in a new movie, we think to ourselves this. I want to be a part of something like that. We say it in the back of our minds, don't we? 
or whenever we witness truly extravagant and overly generous acts uh, towards uh, like a forgiving of someone's debts that are being paid or a number of employees buying a car for one of their fellow deserving, hardworking employees, we say in the back of our minds, I want to be a part of something like that. Church, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We do. We crave it. Yet, it's hard to be able to sacrificially love somebody who is hard to love in the first place. That is one of the most messy and discouraging things that we can go through. But I'm convinced and convicted that when we sacrificially love each other in the church, and of course those outside the church, many people are watching, whether it's us watching each other or other people outside this church are watching us. When we sacrificially love in a way that blows people's minds, people pay attention to this. And they think, I want to be a part of something like that. Because as Paul tells the Ephesian church in the fifth chapter, Walk in love just as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. Things that are fragrant and beautiful, they fetch other people's attention. Think of the flowers that you've seen this year. The smells that have drawn you in. They attract your attention. And they attract your desires and your want of more of it. Hear me clearly though, church. We're not called to be fragrant. We're not called to be beautiful to draw others in and just stop there. What we're supposed to be doing as the church is we're called to sacrificially love as Christ has loved the church. And as a byproduct, what will happen from that is that he will draw more and more people into himself. Our calling as the church is to sacrificially love each other. We shouldn't be worried about how this act will actually attract people in. Christ will do that. We're just called to that sacrificial act of obedience, of tending to and caring for one another here in the body and, of course, outside of the body as well. So, church, this week, seek the hard yet meaningful task and work of loving this church this week. Intentionally pursue your brothers and sisters in Christ and to love them well. Think of far greater creative ways to love each other than I just gave you a few seconds ago. Look for really intentional ways of caring for and loving one another. And from that, I think we'll see Christ show up in 10,000 places along the way. It might not happen in a week's time. It might happen within months. It might happen within years or a decade from now. But he will show up in 10,000 places. And along the way... And he will even draw a few into his boundless, always extending love. Let us love each other well this week. And let's show that hospitality, that selfless love to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very morning. That we can see each other or at least have this opportunity to see each other as a gift that we are your body and we as individual members make up and comprise that body. And so as much as our hearts sometimes look at each other and we say, ooh, look and see what he is doing over there. 
how you have favored him, God. Him as the ear. You've given him a sense of hearing your word. But I'm nothing but a foot. We forget that we are all a part of the body. But if it was not for the feet, that this body could not walk. And if it wasn't for the ear, we could not hear. If it wasn't for the eyes, we could not see your presence. If it wasn't for all the senses and the body that we are, we could not look up to you as our head and ask for that guidance to be your church. And so, Lord, forgive us of sometimes measuring ourselves against others because that can ruin our own hearts. Instead of giving thanks for the fact that we do have an ear in here and a foot in here and a nose in here and arms and hands that each of us play a part in a unique ministry and service to people. But you have always called us through your scriptures to show a type of selfless, sacrificial, hospitable love towards one another. And as hard as it is as us as broken human beings to extend that kind of love to other broken human beings, may we look at your son and may we imitate him. May we join him in the mission that he is fulfilling through his own will. And may we lavish that kind of love upon each other so that others will see inside this church and others will see outside this church and think to themselves, I want to be a part of that. And so may we show that kind of sacrificial love that has first been given to us through your son. We offer these things in his name. Amen.